0: Officially halfway through the houses, and we're moving on up. But before we do, we need to take a stop in the eighth house, otherwise known as the idol place. This house often gets labeled with the slogan death and taxes, and honestly, it's not wrong, but I'd like to think there's a little more to it than just that. I recently entered my eighth house perfection year, so I've been obsessed with everything eighth house, and I've started referring to the eighth house as prices and power rather than death and taxes. We'll get into the details of why that is after we go through the significations. But for now, let's get into the planetary joy. There's actually no planet that has its joy in the inactive place, the idle place. And I mean, that makes sense, right? Who wants to have their home, the place where they call their joy in the idle place? Like maybe Saturn would be cool with that, but even Saturn's like, nah, this place is kind of whack. So there's no planet that has its joy in the eighth house. As always, if you have an open eighth house, look to where the ruler of the house is for meaning. And if there are planets in your eighth house, hopefully the following significations will help you understand how those planets are behaving and what it means in general to have placements in the eighth house. Let's start with some buzzwords and phrases for the eighth house. So there's death, money, mainly inheritance or other people's money in general. That's really what we're working with here. Other people's money and possessions and then idling or inactivity and spouses or partners' finances. Let's tackle the death signification first. I actually had someone get upset with me recently because I talked about the eighth house encompassing death. And this is just a gentle reminder to everyone that I'm a traditional astrologer. I'm not a modern astrologer and I don't subscribe to the modern significations of the eighth house. Death is a huge part of life and glossing over a topic such as death doesn't do anyone any favors as a Stoic, death is something we don't fear. We don't really worry about death. It's part of life and we strive to be comfortable with it because it's out of our control and it's inevitable. And with that said, death can come in many forms. It can come in figurative deaths, such as a spiritual death or reinventions and transformations. It can also indicate endings, you know when people say like oh this is the the ending of an era, like that kind of thing. An example would be maybe divorce or a separation of some kind. But also, this house truly does indicate physical death as well. And I'm sorry if that makes some people uncomfortable, but that's just the truth of the matter. Death happens and it's one of the most common threads that binds us all in this human existence. We will all experience death at some point, whether it be someone we know, love, or even ourselves. So truly, death is the one thing that binds every single human. So I think that I explained the whole death thing enough and that you get it. This house indicates endings of all kinds, including death. And even the name of this house, the idol place, kind of ties into that notion a little bit. It's the ultimate stillness, nothingness, no movement, stagnation our next signification deals with something that often comes after death, which is inheritance. The seventh house is the place of the other. Being that the eighth house comes directly after the seventh, we're gonna see some of the otherness come into play here. If the second house deals with our money and finances, then the house opposite of it, the eighth house, deals with other people's money and finances. A lot of the time we see inheritance not through a natal placement, but often when a transit occurs, it's usually activated when we see something like, say, both Jupiter or Mars are transiting your eighth house. This could indicate a time where someone gets cut out of their inheritance or or their good fortune. There could also be a squabble over family estates, anything like that. And it can go the good way too. It could be that you get an aggressively big inheritance. You know, there's a lot of ways this could play out. You definitely have to look at the chart in its entirety, but that's just one way that I could potentially see Mars and Jupiter kind of interacting as a transit in the eighth house. There's something that happens in someone's will, maybe somebody got cut out and then you are the one that benefits from that. There's a whole laundry list of ways it could go, but that's just an example of a transit. Now, if we're talking natal placements, say you have Saturn natally in the eighth. This means that it could take a long time to receive your inheritance. There may be something blocking you from receiving it, like maybe there's an age stipulation or there's scarcity when it comes to the notion of your inheritance, more like a misery type situation. Again, you have to look at the birther in its entirety, but if you have natal placements there, one way to think about it is inheritance or other people's money. Moving away from inheritance, we have our next buzzword, which is inactivity. This is called the idle place or the place of inactivity. It's not to say that not much goes on in this house, but more that not much goes on in this house that we can control. There's not a lot of action that we can take when working with the eighth house. If it deals with other people's money, that's out of our control unless we're like their accountant which, I mean, that's a possibility with this house. A lot of people who deal with other people's money have placements within this house, and we will see that in our example. But death is also certainly out of our control, and that's another signification of this house. So it's an idle place in that we can't really do a whole lot with it. And some Hellenistic sources also claim that this is a place of not just idleness, but also laziness or Things that are kind of slow to move or slow to come about. I already mentioned that there's an otherness quality to this house and we touched on it a little bit, but this house is a continuation of our relationships to other people, but in the monetary sense. You can think of this house as the assets we gain through marriage, partnerships, or any sort of union with another person which can also mean that it's the assets we lose through the dissolution of marriage, partnerships, or any sort of union. It can kind of go both ways here. If you get married, well, then you do potentially gain something. Even if you're gaining another person's debt, you're still dealing with their assets, their, their money. Or it can go the other way. If you get a divorce or you have a separation, then you're dealing with having to split their assets and their money between the two of you. The seventh house is uh, more about the other in general and who they are. The eighth is what they bring or don't bring to the relationship in the material sense. The seventh is more the actual mental emotional connection. And the eighth is the physical aspect of the partnership, including material items and money. This is a good time to mention that when I say partnerships, that also means business partnerships. You may be someone who is really good at investing other people's money or you work a job where people sponsor you in some sort of way. So yes, this is indicative of your spouse, but it's also about those other close working relationships that have money tied to them or where money is a driving component. So if you run a business, this could mean the relationship between you and your clients. How is it that you conduct your business and what is the payment situation like between you and the people that you work with? Those are all questions to consider when kind of pondering the 8th house. So what do we know about the 8th house so far? It has to do with other people and their money or assets and this includes inheritance, To have something like inheritance come into our lives, typically someone dies. This makes death of all kinds a huge signification for this house. It can also be considered a place of inactivity or idleness due to things really just being out of our control. And then we also covered that this house is a really good indicator of what our relationships or partnerships bring to the table in a monetary way or just how we relate to other people's money in general. I would even go so far as to say this house can kind of tell you if you're someone who accepts help from people, or if you're one of those that's like, no, I'm going to pay for it myself, and you're a little more stubborn about your money when it comes to other people and like asking for help, things like that. You could even look at this house that way a little bit. The last thing I want to touch on before we get into our celebrity example is the phrase prices and power that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. I came up with prices and power for this house because death and taxes sounds kind of stale as shit, honestly. And I just because I tend to really love alliteration, I was like prices and power like that sounds better than death and taxes. The death signification of this house immediately reminds me of prices and power because death is sort of the ultimate price. And there's also a lot of power in death. Death, whether literal or metaphorical, has the power to change everything. The ripple effect we feel after an ending can be like a shockwave and it echoes throughout our lives and it just like rearranges things. So death is a very powerful experience and has the ability to completely transform our lives. I chose the word prices because power comes with a price. What are you willing to let go of, or what lengths are you willing to go to to obtain the power you desire? How many versions of yourself are you willing to let die? Or how many times are you willing to let yourself fail and be at the mercy of other people's decisions before you finally receive your boons? These are all questions that, again, I would ask someone with placements in the eighth house. Yes, the word prices does indicate the money aspect of this house, but it also deals with everything else surrounding that money. For example, we talked a little bit about divorce, which is often seen in this house. It comes with a price from a monetary standpoint and from an emotional one. And often there's a power struggle when people get divorced because I don't think it's very often that people get divorced on like great terms. It's pretty rare that you hear like, yeah, you know, we just grew apart and we're going to end things in a very civil way. Like no, typically one of the people involved is lording things over the other. And there's a lot, there's a big power struggle really between the two people. So prices and power both work for the divorce signification of this house. Basically the phrase prices and power indicates that what we experience in this house can be amazingly fruitful. But it comes with a price. And the price doesn't have to be money. It could be that you're at the mercy of other people and their decisions, or that you're at the mercy of Father Time and you have to be patient to receive your gifts. And remember, since this is the idle place, there's really not much we can do to speed up the process most of the time. We just kind of have to grin and bear it and kind of get through it. There's not much we can do to speed up the idle place. Now I am literally too excited. I am so stoked about the celebrity example for this house. Anyone who knows me personally might get a chuckle out of this one because uh, of my absolutely random obsession with this person. And I mean like totally bizarre admiration for them that I just cannot explain other than that they have an Aries moon and I am like astrologically obligated to fall in love with anyone that has an Aries moon. I don't know what it is. I loved I don't want to say loved, but I really admired this person even before I was super into astrology and knew they had an Aries moon. So that just, again, shows my pull towards certain astrological placements. Let's just, I'm going to tell you who it is. So our 8th house celebrity is Steve Jobs. My homeboy Steve Jobs has Mars and the moon in the 8th house in Aries, which means his Mars is in its domicile. He's a really good example of just Mars in general. So let's see how that kind of just like played out for him. I really like the dichotomy between his Mars and Moon. Because as you can imagine, Mars and the Moon have very different agendas. So we're going to see how he kind of like blended those two things. Okay, so Steve Jobs had a pretty winding road before he became like the face of Apple. Jobs had a partner named Steve Wozniak. Jobs was more the money man. And Wozniak was the actual tech guy who more so built and worked with the Apple computers. He was very much an engineer. Jobs was the one who secured the funding for the duo from the start. That Mars in the 8th house made him aggressively ambitious when it came to other people's money and being able to do business with other people. A great example of this is when they hired John Scully, who at the time was the president of Pepsi, and they hired him to be the CEO of Apple. To convince Scully to leave Pepsi, Jobs, you know, famously said to him, Do you want to sell sugar water the rest of your life? Which that's just such a Martian thing to do. Instead of kissing ass to get what Jobs wanted, he confronted and challenged people and honestly, it worked. Scully left Pepsi to run Apple. As the company grew, Jobs would begin to call his engineers artists. He romanticized the work his crew was doing, which is where we see the moon kind of come in. His entire soul was in what these people were working on, but that Martian quality always remained because he was notorious for being demanding and basically pushing the people that Worked for him like well beyond the normal limits. He had greatness in mind always, and he would get there through the talents, work, and money of the people he surrounded himself with. That Mars of his had a more tumultuous side, though. It wasn't just all like, you know, we're going to work hard and I'm going to push people, you know, further than they think they can go and we're going to succeed. It wasn't all that. After a poorly received initial release of the Mac, Scully, the CEO that Jobs brought in, convinced the board to cut him out. The board of directors literally removed Steve Jobs, a co-founder of Apple, from the company, which that's a very Martian thing as well. Mars is a planet that signifies being cut out. It slices, it dices. And that's why I said earlier today that Mars can often mean maybe being getting cut out of a will. And in this case, Jobs was literally cut out of the company that he started. But not one to waste any time, Jobs kept going and he kept doing what he loved and he started another firm. Again, his ability to secure funding and the support of other people was just unparalleled. Shortly after his leave from Apple, he acquired what would become Pixar from George Lucas. And he turned it into the major animation studio that it is today. Our beloved Toy Story actually came out when Jobs was in control of Pixar, but he later sold it to Disney and he became like a billionaire from it. Without making this too long-winded, Jobs did make a return to Apple. The company wasn't doing so great in the time that he had been removed, and obviously his heart was with Mac. Apple was his baby, and he gladly accepted to come back to the company and turn things around. In fact, Jobs loved Apple so much that when he returned to the company, he gave himself a salary of $1 a year. He did this because he wanted to take any potential money that he would have made from his salary and he wanted to sink it back into the company to rejuvenate it and to like breathe life into this company that he saw failing before his eyes. He formed Apple out of a garage with Wozniak in 1976 and he was not about to let it die. And so he decided that he would pay whatever price that took to make it happen. Steve Jobs' journey from beginning to end with Apple was all about his relationships with other people, their money, and how he could use it to make his dreams a reality. I don't wanna romanticize him too much though, because I think we all know, if you do like any digging on him at all, that he was actually kind of an asshole. He paid the price of having to be tyrannical in his dealings with other people to get what he wanted. He took the energy of Mars and he ran with it. This is why I say this house is prices and power. Yes, Steve Jobs achieved everything he wanted and he made his vision happen, but at what cost? He was known to be a horrible father and husband. He neglected the mental and emotional needs of the people that worked for him, And he often used his natural charisma and drive for manipulation. His business dealings always ended up being better for him than the other person. And uh, he was really good at taking what he needed monetarily from other people. So while his heart may have been with Apple, you know, the moon itself was with Apple. And he had that vision and he was never going to let it go. He used excessive force and at times bad business ethics to make his dream come true. But you know, that's the price he was willing to pay. He was willing to not care so much about his reputation and he had laser focus on his dream. And that's a very Aries thing in general. I, and maybe this is why I admire him so much. I don't really admire the way he always went about things. But I do admire the fact that he made it happen and he never gave up. And for some reason, just like him only taking, you know, a dollar salary, when I know he was already a billionaire, I know that. But it wasn't even about the money for him at that point in time. It was about making sure Apple, Mac, all of that, his vision was seen through to the end. And he did make that happen. Again, whether it was with the best practices or not, (laughs) <laughs> That's a uh, you know not for me to really go into, but he did really lean on his uh, Mars, and he leaned into the the more rough side of Mars, the side that everyone kind of sees, especially because his Mars was in domicile in Aries. He didn't care. He was gonna crush you. He was gonna bowl you over. It might not. He might not have been like the biggest, strongest guy, but mentally he was very smart, and he knew how to manipulate people and kind of get what he wanted from them. So. He did that. He made it happen. He paid his prices. He got his power. And that, my babes, is the eighth house. Sure, it's a house that includes death and taxes, but it also indicates what we do when we're presented with those things. What are we like when we're presented with death? Do we crumble and fear what comes next? Or do we pick up what's left and continue to forge our path? It's knowing the price you're willing to pay for your transformation and also the payout that potentially comes with that. It's risk-reward, prices-power, death and taxes. Look at your chart and really meditate with your 8th house and any placements or aspects within it. Ask yourself, how do I handle transformative experiences? Am I afraid to reinvent myself? Do I handle death with grace and dignity? Or do I grasp as something that never belonged to me in the first place? If you find any interesting correlations or just come up with something cool, send me a message on Instagram at moonmatters.astro and we can chat about it. All right, my babes, I'll see you all later.